Welcome to Impact Church's podcast with Pastor Travis Hearn. Pastor Travis also serves as the team pastor for the NBA's Phoenix Suns and has served Major League Baseball as the team chaplain for over a decade. Today, he leads us with a powerful and hope-filled message. We're so glad you're tuning in, and we believe that wherever you're listening from, that God will impact your life through today's message. Thank you for joining us today. If you said that prayer and accepted Jesus into your heart, it's the best decision you could ever make. We want to connect and celebrate with you. Visit impactchurch.com for more information about our church and how you can get plugged in here with us. Be sure to subscribe and share today's message with your friends. Thanks for tuning in, and we can't wait to hear how God has made an impact in your life. I want to continue last Sunday's sermon, and thank you for the four loves. I appreciate that. And uh, I, I told you this last Sunday that God woke me up two Wednesdays ago, and he gave me this, this word. And the word is that sometimes God gives you his word as a seed. One of you listen. That's good to know. That's, that's not depressing. I mean, I spent a lot of time on this message last week. That sometimes God, he gives you his word as a? Well, we got to go back to the beginning because only one person. Sometimes he gives it to you as a? Seed. And other times he gives it to you as a? And so last week I gave you the sword and I told you last week, this week was going to be the seed, but I decided it's the sword again. I, I couldn't get away from the, the, the dagger. And one thing I've learned about God, I don't know if you've learned this, is that God knows exactly what we need, when we need it, and how we need it. He knows, he knows exactly. And sometimes, sometimes he knows that we need a seed deposited in our life you know it's like the the seed is deposited and it's planted with gentleness and over time it's cultivated and that seed eventually germinates and it takes root and it grows and you're a great man woman of God and you bear great fruit because it was a great seed planted but there's other times in our lives that we need that sword just shoved into our soul because the seed's not going to work. And I'm actually going to talk about, I promise, I'm going to talk about the seed next Sunday. Next Sunday. But did you know the Bible tells us that God's word is a sword? It tells us his word is a sword. I, I want to read to you a couple scriptures here. In Ephesians six seventeen, it says, Take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Then in Hebrews 4.12, it says, For the word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. One of the things I love about the Bible is that last phrase. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. The word does what your own brain can't do. Sometimes I don't even know my own motive. Maybe you do. But sometimes I'm like, why do I want this? Why do I need this? Why do I think I want to go down this, this road? Motives. See, God judges the motives. And so sometimes God's word, it comforts us. And sometimes God's word, it confronts us. And we need both. And so today I'm continuing part two, my Fern Foundation. And uh, 
And I want to read to you what I read to you last week to start with in Matthew 7. These are the words of Jesus. He said, everyone who hears these words of mine and what? Y'all need to wake up or I'm going home. Ready? Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be, see, this, let me, let me help you guys. This is a game I play. Maybe you don't, but I think you should. Every week, every Sunday, in my mind, there's a contest between the 9 and the 11 a.m. service. And in my mind, I go, that service sucked, and that service was awesome. That service lost, that service won. So now you can just pretend it's a competition. I need you to be louder and more excited and more celebratory and more amen-y than the 11 a.m. service. And so that's what we're getting at here. It really has nothing to do with God. It's a competition. And so he says, everyone who hears them and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came. We just sang about it. And the winds blew and they beat on that house. It did not fall. Why? Because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and the beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall. And so he says two key components. If you want a firm foundation, he says it is about hearing God's word and doing God's word. It's both. It's not just hearing the word of God. It's not just reading, listening to it. It's actually walking it out. Because you can hear it all you want. But if you don't walk it out, you're still building your life on a sandy foundation. And listen, here's the hard truth is that some of you today are building your lives on a sandy foundation. You are, and and you're not building your life on this firm foundation. And that sandy foundation that you're building your life upon is eventually going to sink your life. It's going to sink it. In verse 27, look what he said. If He said, you build your life on the sand, great will be the fall. It will sink. It will sink. You will sink. I have built my life on the sand many times over, and every single time, great was the fall. Every time. Not one time, not some of the time. Every single time, great was the fall. And the most dangerous thing, about building your life on a sandy foundation is this, is that you don't even notice that it's sinking until it's too late. You don't even notice. You know why? Because it sinks slowly. It sinks slowly. It doesn't just drop like a rock. It sinks slowly. Little by little, you get sucked under. Little by little, inch by inch, you get pulled down until one day you discover that Your own life sunk you. And so I want to continue on this today because we want to build our lives on the firm foundation. Before I do, I'm going to pray. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you for your word today. God, we just pray that you would speak to us, that you would challenge us, that you would change us. God, that you would take us to higher heights today. Speak your truth to us today. God, let us have ears to hear and eyes to see and a heart to feel, God, what you're trying to tell us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. We all say, 
Amen. Amen. Before our worship team, listen, thank you guys. Always fire. Killed it again and again and again. See, what the devil tries to do is he tries to slowly bait you into a life of hell. Welcome to Impact Church. The devil tries to slowly bait you, slowly bait you into a life of hell. And and today is part two, and I want to start by reading James chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Would you look at these with me? They'll be on the screen. You can open up your apps if you have them. James 1, 1 through 8, it says this. This letter is from James, a slave of God. Another translation says a servant of God. Another translation says a bond servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. James is a, listen, a servant, a slave to Jesus Christ. And this is interesting because James is the brother of Jesus Christ. Okay, but, but I'll get to that in a second. He says, I'm writing to the 12 tribes Jewish believers scattered abroad. Why were they scattered? Because of persecution. Because of persecution. They've been scattered abroad. I'm writing to you guys. Greetings, dear brothers and sisters. When troubles come of any kind, he says, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Another translation says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. That's not easy to do. He says, consider it an opportunity for great joy for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance, it has a chance to grow. So let it grow for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Verse five, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. And this is really what I want to dig into here. The next three verses, verse six. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone Do not waver. Say those three words out loud. Do not waver. Look at somebody and tell them, do not waver. Do not waver for a person with divided loyalty. Say those two words out loud. Divided loyalty. Look at somebody you have no idea. You've never seen them in your life. Look at them right now and say divided loyalty. Divided loyalty. He says divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people, listen, should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Why? Because their loyalty is divided between God and the world. And they are unstable. Somebody say unstable. Unstable in everything they do. So today... I've decided that my message title will be called Stuck Between the Word and the World. Stuck Between the Word and the World. Stuck Between the Word and the World. Because I think that all of us, all of us, every human that's ever lived in this world is stuck between the Word and the world. Everybody. We all get stuck between, I want to do what God wants me to do, and I also want to do what Trav wants me to do. I'm stuck between what the Word says I should do and between what the world says I should do. This is why I read Romans 12 last week in verse 2, where he says, do not conform 
conform to the pattern of this world, but be what? Transform. Transform means you ain't right. That means something's not right in your head. I need to be transformed, right? I'm not there yet. I have not arrived yet. There is something in my life or some things in my life that God wants to change. So he says, be not conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. What does he say? Then you will be, when? When I'm transformed. When I'm transformed. Now I will know what God's will is. His good and pleasing perfect will. Now this is important because as we look at this topic stuck between the word and the world, I have a picture in my head. And that picture is this. I'm half in and I'm half out. The picture is I'm riding the fence on this thing. The picture I get in my head stuck between the word and stuck between the world is that I've got one foot in God's word and I've got one foot in God's, uh, in the world, right? I'm stuck between the two. Seems, it seems like a really good place to be. It seems like, man, I can have God's favor and I can also feed my flesh, That's what it seems like. I can have the favor of God while at the same time feeding my flesh. Now, look at verse 8 again. Look at verse 8. He says their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they're unstable in everything they do. Now, I want to just say this, that the book of James is perhaps my favorite book in the Bible. It's it's probably my favorite. It's at least my top five favorite, the book of James. It's only five chapters long. And I love the book of James. It's written by James, the brother of Jesus. We call him James the Just. There was a second century historian that called him James, old camel knees James, because his knees were calloused like that of a camel because he prayed so much. How many like to have that as your reputation? Some super ugly knees because you prayed so much, right? And so he was James the Just, James, old James, camel knees. Did you know that Jesus had six that we know of, six siblings. We know that Jesus had four brothers. He had two sisters. And here's what's wild. Here's what's wild. Way back in the book of John chapter seven, the Bible says that his his brothers did not believe he was the Messiah. You wouldn't believe your little brother was the Messiah either. If he was like, James, I'm the Messiah to save the world, you would be like, yeah, bro, whatever, right? Until the resurrection. If your little brother rose from the dead, it'd make you think too. Like, hmm, maybe there's something to this guy. And eventually, James goes from, I don't believe you're the Messiah, to I am a servant of the Most High God. That's power. And here's why I specifically, personally like James. It's because it's five chapters of like super in-your-face teaching. That's my speed. I like that. Don't you guys? Who likes that? Like real in-your-face. Some of you are afraid to raise your hand. You're like, I don't know what's on the other side of this. 
But I, I, I like that it's in your face because that, that's just the way I am. Like, I, I, I need a, if I go to the gym and hire somebody to be my trainer, I want somebody that's in my, I want a drill sergeant. I do. I want somebody with some power and some passion. I want somebody that's going to push me past what I think I can do. I know not everybody's that way. It's not wrong. It's just different people. Some of you want, you know, you go to the gym and you're looking for Joel Osteen to train you, you know. God bless you. God bless you. You can't do five push-ups. That's okay. Do three. The Lord will provide the other three. Right? Some of you. Some of you. I know that's some of you. You're like, don't yell at me. I want to be yelled at. That's why I like James. I want to be yelled at. I, I know everybody's different, but I want to be yelled at. I, I want to be slapped across the face like, boy, you need to get your act together. That's what I want. And that's the book of James. It's five chapters of just leveling up. He talks about people with wishy-washy faith. He talks about faith without works is dead. He talks about, listen, some of you, you look the part, but you're not the part. He says, some of you, you believe in God. That's great. Even the demons believe in God, right? I mean, this is some in your faith. He talks about the power of the mouth, the destruction of the mouth. He calls your mouth like a restless evil full of venomous poison. It's like a snake, a viper. It's waiting to strike. He talks about the hypocrisy of the mouth. He talks about the power of prayer. He talks and warns us about showing favoritism. He warns us about being divided between the ways of the world and the ways of the word. This is my kind of teacher. This is my kind of teacher. In fact, I want to read to you James chapter 4 as we jump down a few chapters into chapter 4. Look what he says here. This is crazy. He says, you adulterous people. <laughs> right? He, you adulterous. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. That is about as strong of language as you could possibly use, right? Adulterers, enmity. He calls us, <laughs> you and I, us, adulterers. That's pretty intense, you guys. He says, when you're friends with the world, it's enmity against God. Enmity, it means a passionate hatred toward God. It means a true hatred. Listen, this is incredibly strong. If you love the world, if you love its ideals, if you love its ideals, if you love its concepts, if you love its ways, he says, then you hate God. I didn't say it. He said it. I'm on the receiving end of this just like you. He says, if you love the ways of the world, if you love the world, dude, you have a passionate hate for God. That's intense. I told you, he is intense, man. But I love this because I think sometimes we need the sword of the spirit 
to cut us and cut the spiritual fat off of our lives so that we can be free and spiritually lean in Jesus. So then in James 4, he doesn't stop. He goes on. Verses 7 through 9. Aren't you glad you came to church today so the, the pastor could scream at you? He says, submit yourselves to God then. Listen, this is powerful stuff right here. Submit yourself to God. A lot of people love God. They have a love for God. They're not submitted to God. They they want God to bless them, but they don't want to bless God in their lifestyle. I want God to do all these good things for me. I ain't doing that for him. And so he says, submit then to God. Resist the devil. Resist the devil. Listen, resist means you kind of want to do it. Hello? (laughs) If you didn't have to resist, there would be no desire. I got to resist. Man, I want to do this. Man, I want to do this. I really want to resist the devil and he will flee from you, come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. He says, give morning well, change your laughter to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Why would he say, change your laughter and your, 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 your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom? Why would he say that? Because he's saying, stop freaking messing around with the world and get right with God. You need to repent. You need to come clean. You need to step into the light. You need to step into the truth. You need to step out of the darkness. He says, you need to change your attitude, your mind mindset, your emotions. Humble yourself. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. Listen, if there's one thing that you remember from this message and according to the little test trial I did at the beginning of the sermon, there's a chance you'll not remember any of it. But if there's one thing, one thing that you'll remember, maybe you want to write this down because that will help you remember what I'm about to tell you. If there's one thing you take away from today's message, it's this, is that God is calling you away from the world and toward the word. He is calling you away from the world and toward the word. He's calling you. Some of y'all been hearing it, but you're ignoring it. He's calling you. (laughs) I promise if this is your first time, I scream at my church like twice a year. You just came on the second time. I'm really a loving guy. He's calling you away from culture and toward the cross. He's, I mean, how long can you ignore it? How long can you ignore it? He's calling you to repentance. He's calling you, we just read it, to purify your hearts. One of my closest friends, and he's a dear friend, is Coach Monty Williams with the Phoenix Suns. I, listen, I love this man. Coach Monty and I have prayed together. We've cried together. We've mourned together. 
We've celebrated together. We've read and studied the word together. Like, I love this, man. You know, one of the things Coach Monty is known for is we call them these Montyisms, right? And he has all these little sayings that are like, that's good. He could be like a preacher in disguise as a head coach, truly. But there's this one thing he tells the players. He says, I'm not calling you out. I'm calling you up. I'm not calling you out. I'm calling you up. Listen, that's what I'm trying to do today. I'm not trying to call you out. I'm trying to call you up. I'm trying to call you up. I'm trying to call you up. God's trying to call you up because he has something better for you. Because he has something bigger for you. Because he has a bigger vision for your life than you have for your life. God wants to take you to new levels and higher heights in your life. God wants you to soar like an eagle. But some of you are too busy being chickens. He wants you to soar like an eagle and not settle like a freaking chicken. Let's say freaking chicken. It's just the adjective adds to the demeaning of the statement. A freaking chicken. Might be my next sermon title. I freaking chicken. Some of y'all, A, as nicely as I can say this, some of y'all. It's not that you're a chicken. You just think, you just think you're a freaking chicken. It, you're not a chicken. It's somebody's told you you're a chicken. The, listen, there, there's this verse. I love this verse in the Bible. It's Isaiah 40, 31. I want to read it to you. It says, but they that wait. Have you ever heard this verse? But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up. With wings as eagles, they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. See, God wants you to soar like an eagle, not settle like a chicken. He wants you to soar like an eagle, not settle like a chicken. You, you know what's interesting? That chickens are content walking around in the chicken coop and the chicken poop. Did you know that? They're, they're good with that. I'll just walk around in a bunch of chicken crap. That's cool. I mean, all my other chickens are doing it too. So why not? I'll just walk around in chicken turds, man. Scratching around the chicken. You know that chickens have wings and they don't fly? They could fly. Why would I fly? I'm fine right here. Chickens are small-minded. They have small brains. Thus, we say bird brain. They have small brains. They don't think for themselves. They just follow the crowd, and they just go where the crowd goes. They settle. And so, on the other hand, you have the eagle, highly intelligent bird. They fly high and far. Eagles aren't afraid to leave the crowd. Eagles, when a storm comes, they spread their wings and they use their wings to rise above the storms in life. They have incredible vision. They're also, listen, oh, this might be what I came here for today. 
Did you know that eagles are incredibly loyal? And they, listen, they mate for life. Hold up. Eagles aren't flying around in South Scottsdale looking for the next person they can bang. Am I right? Am I right? They ain't flying around going, who's next, baby? Who's next? Let's close in prayer. One thing I've learned about life is that you'll never soar like an eagle being surrounded by chickens. Impossible. God is calling you up, not out. God is calling you up. Look at somebody and tell them that. God is calling you up. Colossians 3.2 is such a good verse. It's short, it's sweet, it's encouraging, it's challenging. He says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Amen. But, but, but let's go back for a minute to the book of James, chapter 1. And I want to read to you verses 6 through 8 again. We already read it. I want to read it again. He says, do not waver for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as the wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not receive, deceive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world. They're unstable in everything they do. I want you to notice two things that he states in these three scriptures. And I want you to write them down. It's letter A and it's letter B in your outline today. There are two things that he says. The first thing he says is they're unsettled. They're unsettled. Who's unsettled? Who's unsettled? Those that are stuck between the ways of the word and the ways of the world. They're unsettled. They're unsettled. They're caught in the middle. And so that is unsettling. Like a wave of the sea, tossed and blown around by the wind. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Let me, let me tell you something. You cannot live a life being stuck between in the world and the word and not feel unsettled. You can't. You can't. Some of you are unsettled today. Your heart is unsettled. Your mind is unsettled. Listen, you, you think you're dealing with anxiety? I got news for you. You're dealing with conviction. This sermon might not get the most plays. Some of you think, yeah, man, I've been dealing with so much anxiety. No, you're dealing with conviction. Get right with God and watch the anxiety go away. Walk in the word of God and watch the fear go away. Walk in the word of God and watch the guilt go away and the shame go away and the doubt go away. Watch, walk in the word of God. Walk in the truth of his word. Then tell me how you feel because you'll feel free and liberated. And so here's the second thing he says, James chapter one. He says, they're unstable. They're unsettled and they're unstable. Who's unstable? 
those that are stuck between the ways of the word and the ways of the world. They're unsettled. Why? Because they have divided loyalties. Listen, in any area of your life, living in divided loyalties will make you unsettled. It will make you unstable. I'll just give an example. I'm married to my wife, Natalie. We've been married 24 years. Great years, great years. But if I had another side woman, I had a little side kick. I had a little mistress. If I was cheating on her, if I had two women and I was working them back and forth, I would be unsettled and unstable. My marriage would be unstable. It would be unstable. Divided, loyal, I love her, but I love her. Like, what? What? Unsettled and unstable. If you're half in your marriage and you're half out your marriage, your marriage will be unstable. If you're half in with God and you're half out with God, your walk with God, it will be unstable. I'm riding the fence. This is why for some of you, your life is unstable. Divided loyalties. I think we can all relate to divided loyalties. Every one of us. Like, I want to be healthy but I also kind of want to eat whatever I want to eat. I, I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better wife, but there are other things that seem to come first. And my energy goes elsewhere. My attention, my focus, it goes elsewhere. I, I want to be a better daddy or mommy, but I'm a workaholic and I'm making that money. We got a nanny for that. I told you I came to pick on you guys today. I, I want to save money and invest money, but I, I also just cannot stop spending divided loyalties. Man, Amazon be showing up every day at your door. I, 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 you know, you're playing, some of you listen, some of you, some of you are playing two women at the same time. You're playing two men at the same time. I wish I had my glasses on so I could see whose faces are turning red or white right now. Let me just say it this way. You cannot, cannot, you will not. Let me say it like that. You will not experience God's favor while at the same time feeding your flesh. You won't. Jesus talked about divided loyalties in Matthew 6 in the area of money. He said it like this. Nobody, nobody, no man, no one can serve two masters. He says either you hate the one and love the other or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. So in this illustration, he's talking specifically about money, right? But it applies to anything. Whatever it is in your life, think about it. Whatever it is in your life that pulls you away from God. That's some of you today. It's like, you, you know the game tug of war? 
You're the rope. And the world's pulling you that way. And the word's pulling you that way. And sometimes the word wins out. And sometimes the world wins out. And sometimes, and look what's happening to my body right now. It's unstable. And so it could be anything, anything. You could say, you can't serve two masters. You, you got to pick one. You got to figure out who you're serving today. Some of you are desperately trying to hold on to the word and the world at the same time. Some of you are desperately trying to make the word fit into your world at the same time. Some of you are desperately, desperately trying to hold on to both. You're trying with everything in you to hold on to his word and to hold on to the world. It cannot be done. I've used this illustration before, but. Um, I have a question. How many today, seriously, how many today is like your first time ever at Impact Church? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Come on, let's give them some love. I want you to know that I'm sorry. I got the, the, the seeds coming next week. This is very nice, kind. You can do it. Encouraging. But there's this way that these monkey trappers trap monkeys and what they do is they take a coconut and what they do is they put a hole in the coconut. You know what I'm saying? And then what they do is they take some, some, something sweet, some fruit. So I got some fruit, right? So what they do is they take, you know, maybe I'll put some strawberries in the coconut. Maybe I'll put, I don't know how that thing's supposed to fit in the coconut, but I'll put this little, I don't even know what this is. It looks good. Put it in the coconut. Another one. Plum? Hey, I might be some dumb, but I'm not plum dumb. That's, so, so. So then what they do, is it hot in here? My gosh. Then what they, then what they do is they tie it to a tree, right? And, and, and then. They, they, just, they just leave that tied to the tree. And then they go away. And they just let the monkey's desires do what it does. And the monkey, the very inquisitive creatures, is like, man, that coconut got a hole in it. That's weird. Wait, I smell something sweet inside there. That's weird. Oh, my God. God, I hit the lottery. He is favored on my life. There's fruit in there. And I can't wait to eat it. And then what they do, and my hand won't fit in here, but what they do is they stick their hand in there, right? And the hole is just big enough for their hand to go in, all the way in. Then they grab the fruit. And once they make a fist with the fruit around it, they can't get their hand out. But, you know, they could let go of the fruit and get their hand out. But they won't let go of the fruit to get their hand out. So their hand is stuck inside the coconut. And then the trapper comes over. And he's got the monkey. See, some of you today, your hand is in the coconut. And you're not going to let go. No matter what I say, no matter how I say it, no matter how passionately I say it, no matter how anointed I say it, no matter how aggressive I say it, 
Some of you are like, I'm not letting go of that. I like it too much. I, I like it too much. I like the taste of that. And so the devil uses the same scheme to trap you. He, he doesn't even have to send like a freaking demonic military at you. He knows your own desires will trap you. Remember last week I read this scripture. I want to read it again. James chapter 1, verse 14 through 16. I read this last week. He said, but we are tempted when we are drawn away and trapped by our own evil desires. Remember, evil isn't like, you know, we have this depiction of evil in the, in the world we live in today. Evil is not like, you know, Freddy Krueger or Jason with the hockey mask or even Pastor Todd. Evil is... Evil is anything that doesn't align with God's word. So we all have evil in us and evil tendencies. He says in verse 15, then our evil desires conceive and they give birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, it gives birth to death. He says, do not be. What does he say? Do not be. My God, that is good. Don't be deceived. That's easier said and read than done. Don't be deceived. This is not for you, it's against you. This looks good. You ever heard that statement? It's like, it's good from far and far from good. Little redneck hillbilly statement. This is, this is good from far, but it's far from good. <laughs> this looks like heaven, it's hell. It's hell. That's the whole point. Is this a trap? I said this last week. The thing about a trap is a trap is a trap because you don't know it's there. It's hidden. You walk into it. Whoops, didn't see that coming. If you saw it coming, you wouldn't walk into it. And so what's the answer? Because I've been pretty, like, crazy. What's the answer? I, I want to give you three things. It's, it comes from one verse. But I want to give you three things, and I, and I got to move a little bit quick because it's 1018 already, and man, I can't believe it. Okay. The answer is, number one, I'm stuck between the world and the word. What do I do? Number one, surrender my will to God. <laughs> surrender my will. You know what your will is? It's what you want but is what you want what God wants so I surrender my will when I first became a Christian I was 17 years old almost 18 and I memorized this verse and I needed it I told you I need the drill sergeant here's another drill sergeant verse these are from Jesus himself the Matthew 16 24 Jesus said to his disciples whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. By the way, y'all are at church today, which I assume means you're just like me, trying to be a disciple of Christ. You're, you're trying. And none of us are perfect. A disciple is like some big Christian spiritual word for disciplined in the word. I'm disciplined in the ways of the word. I'm disciplined in the, the, the ways of Jesus. So I'm a disciple. I'm following Jesus. 
right? I'm not a fan of Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. He says, there's three things. If you want to be my disciple, you got to deny yourself. Deny yourself, your own desires, your own wishes, your own needs, your own thoughts, your own emotions, your own feelings, your own pride, your own lust, your own greed. I deny myself. I surrender my will to his will. When I was a kid, it's about 13, 14, my mom waited tables and she had me at 16 and life was tough. She never had a dad. When she was 13, her mother was raped and murdered. She lived in Costa Mesa, California. Okay. She comes to Arizona to live with her grandmother, my great-grandmother. Three years later, she has me. Okay. She says, even though most 16-year-olds would be like, this is a problem, she's like, this is the greatest thing that ever happened to me because I just wanted a family. I've never had a family. I just want a child. I never had a child. I, 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 this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. And so now when you have a child at 16, you have no parents, you have no money, and you have no anything, that makes a difficult life. Not a bad life, but just a challenging life. Money can't buy you happiness, but it can buy some opportunities. It can take some stress away, right? And so I learned my work ethic from my mother. She works hard. If you've ever served, waited, tables, a I think it should be a requirement of every American citizen to be a serve a servant at a restaurant. Because people aren't really that friendly. They have a lot of demands. My water tastes like whatever. My food's not cold. My food's not hot, right? I've been waiting for 15 minutes. Can I get a drink, please? And they're like running. It's not like they're like up yours. I'm not serving you. Like they're trying. And so I got to see that firsthand. But one of the things that I learned about my mother is that she always surrendered her will, not only for God, but for me. And my one good friend, his daddy was an architect. And another good friend, his daddy was a pilot. Another good friend, his daddy was a basketball coach. And my mind, I was thinking like, man, my poor mom is just waiting tables and just like all day, all night and for not much money. And I remember like in high school, like I wanted some new Jordans for basketball. And like my mom was just like, I just don't have it. And I had to go raise some money and get some money to buy some basketball shoes. And that's like the childhood I grew up in. But I never forget this one moment. I went to my mom and I said, mom. You should, like, go back to college and, you know, I just, I just hate seeing you work so hard. You know, she told me, I don't want to go to college. I want to wait tables. You know why? Because it gives me the flexibility to be at every football game, every basketball game, every baseball game that you have ever played and that you will ever play. <laughs> to this day. She just does not care about money, does not care. It's the kind of person you just go, I want to bless you big time because you just don't care. 
It's sacrificing my will for God's will. Deny yourself. I give up what I want for what he wants. The second thing he says, take up your cross. Listen, if you're going to be a Christian whose life is built on a firm foundation, there will be sacrifice. Listen, so many people think that being a Christian is about living for Christ. I'm here to tell you that being a Christian is about dying for Christ. It's about dying for him. Physically, if I have to, but emotionally, I am dying to Christ. That is what it means to take up your cross. Galatians 2.20, he says, I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. The life that I live in the body, I live in the Son of God in faith who loved me and gave himself up for me. Okay, letter C, he says, follow me. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me, follow me. Man, I'm running out of time and I have so much more to say. Where's the next service gonna park? Who cares? I mean, I'm good with that. In Luke 9, these are the words of Jesus. Listen to this. Verse 57, as they were walking along the road, a man said to Jesus, I will follow you. I will follow you, Jesus, wherever you go. Jesus said, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first, let me go bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you proclaim the kingdom of God. You proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Jesus. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus said, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service of the kingdom of God. There's a couple phrases that these two disciples both said the same thing. Jesus said, follow me. And they both said, I will, but first. (laughs) That's a lot of people today. I'll follow you, but first. But first. And it sounds intense, doesn't it? Let the dead bury their own dead. Doesn't that sound crazy? It is crazy. The dead's dead, yo. When I die, I don't need you to be like mourning over my fist. I'm gone. This is my earthly tent is gone. I'm not there. Hello. My soul, my spirit is gone. I'm in the presence. When I die, throw a freaking party because I'm in the presence of God Almighty. And I think Jesus knew the dude was just making up the most ridiculous, convincing excuse he could possibly make up. My dad died. I got to go bury him. Nah, bro. Like, I've heard them all. But first, no but first. No, no but first. Okay? Listen, following Jesus, following Jesus. I want to tell you this because following Jesus, he says, follow me. Following Jesus, truly following Jesus will require unfollowing certain people in your life. Okay, number two, I'm gonna do these fast. Number two, cut out the things that are holding me back. Cut them out. You know that hurts, right? If I took a knife and cut you, that would hurt. If 
I took scissors and chopped your finger off, that would hurt. When you cut something, it hurts. You cut it out. Why do I cut it out? Because it's holding me back. This is not going to be easy. This is going to be painful, but it is going to be what's best for my life. So what is it that's holding you back? What is it? What is it? Could be a relationship, could be a friendship, could be an addiction, could be a mindset, could be drugs, it could be alcohol. I don't know what it is, but cut the things out that are holding me back. Number three, change my environment. Change your environment. Change it. Change it. Okay? Last Sunday, you remember last Sunday I talked about chameleon Christians? That's a lot of Christians today. They just blend into the environment they go into. I'm a Christian today. It's Sunday morning at Impact Church. Hallelujah, my house is built on you. Then I walk out, and I'm like, up yours. Like, dude, cut me off. You mother. I was just in there praising God, but now you done pissed me the off, right? Like, don't act like y'all are holier than I am right now. Then we go out and we like, you know, bumping and grinding at the club. And it's like, you know, it's just twerking, twerking for Jesus, baby. It's like, the Lord gave me that. So let's go. Like, what? That was my best attempt of twerking. Hey, listen, I, I want to close with this thought. Here's, here's my final thought. You either change your environment or your environment will change you. This is why, this is why 1 Corinthians 15, 13, uh, 33, it says this, do not be what? Do not be? There's that word again. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. It seems like it's the opposite, man. It seems like, you know what? I can go into this cesspool of whatever sin it is. I can change them, you know? Uh-uh. It will change you. So I have to be intentional on the front end about changing my environment so my environment doesn't change me. Let's close in prayer. Father, we're grateful for your word today. And, Lord, that sometimes it is a sword, but, Lord, we know we need it. We know you love us enough to give us that hard truth. And, God, there's not a person listening to this that in some area of our lives, we're not stuck between the word and the world, every single one of us. But, God, we know that you're calling us up and not out. God, that you're calling us to soar at higher heights and newer levels. If you're here today... Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. And if that's you, I want to invite you. I want to, I want to encourage you. I, I, want to, I want to challenge you today to surrender. Surrender. Surrender your will to his will. Pray. You pray. I don't need to pray for you. You pray. God, today I surrender my life to you. God, I want to live for you even if that means I die for you. 
God, I want to deny myself, take up my cross and follow you. But God, I need your strength to do it. So strengthen me. Fill me with the power of your Holy Spirit. And give me the courage of a lion. Help me to build my life on the firm foundation of the word of God. Help me to build my family on the firm foundation of the word of God. Father, we love you. We praise you. We give you praise. We pray that the warriors lose badly tonight. In Jesus' name, we all say amen. God bless you guys. Thank you for joining us today. If you said that prayer and accepted Jesus into your heart, it's the best decision you could ever make. We want to connect and celebrate with you. Visit impactchurch.com for more information about our church and how you can get plugged in here with us. Be sure to subscribe and share today's message with your friends. Thanks for tuning in and we can't wait to hear how God has made an impact in your life.